0: Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. I have a four-year-old who loves dinosaurs. And uh, he discovered, I don't know how, um, maybe a commercial He discovered that uh, there's this movie series called Jurassic Park, and he's been asking my wife and I nonstop um, if he can watch Jurassic Park. (laughs) No, we're not going to let you watch Jurassic Park. Why not? I won't be scared. No, we're not going to let you watch Jurassic Park. Um, That said, I have seen Jurassic Park. And one of the most iconic lines in the 1993 movie is um, from, uh, from, I think it's from Ian Malcolm, and he's, he's uh, probably unknowingly describing the importance of wisdom for our daily lives. Maybe you are familiar with this line. Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't think if they should. And that line actually picks up on one of the ethical questions that's raised repeatedly in the book version of Jurassic Park. In the book, uh, I'm one of those guys, the book is always better than the movie. That's certainly the case when it comes to Jurassic Park. The, the book, um, really one of the, the things that it argues with is that um, it's arguing that our wealth of knowledge, our wealth of information has outpaced our wisdom as a society. And having outpaced our, 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 our ability to know what we should do with this information, it leaves us in a, in a really rough spot. We've, we've sacrificed knowing, we've sacrificed discernment, and we're left without wisdom. And that, if that was true in the 1980s and 1990s, that's very much the case today as well. Consider these words from the book written in 1990. In the Information Society... Nobody thinks. We are expected to banish paper, but we actually banished thought. And if that was true in the 90s, again, how much truer is that today? We have more information at our disposal than any other group of people in world history. Technology has allowed us to keep in contact with people on the other side of the world and to be aware of, for better or worse, the happenings of the world over. And yet there is this assumption That this influx of information is necessarily a good thing. That the more you know, or at least even the, the more you have the ability to know, the better things are, the wiser you will be. And if anything is the case, it seems like the opposite is true for us. In fact, if there's one thing that worries me about our culture today, it is the lack of wisdom. It seems like we live in one of the most foolish ages in all of history. And all too often, unfortunately, that includes the church. All too often, the church lacks wisdom. Wisdom. wisdom is a dying breed today, and yet wisdom is not just an optional add-on for the people of God. It is a significant, crucial part of what does it mean to be a healthy Christian. You look at the Old Testament, a significant chunk of the Old Testament is devoted to the topic of wisdom. At least four books in the Old Testament are what we call wisdom Books, looking at wisdom. What does wisdom mean? What is actually wisdom in my life? And so, as we consider spiritual health this morning, we're going to, to focus on whether we are a wise people. Are we growing in wisdom? Are we continuing to grow in wisdom? And in reality, this is the capstone of spiritual health, it's the culmination of everything that we have looked at over the last several weeks. And since this is our last week looking at the topic of spiritual health, I want to just take a a couple moments to to remind ourselves of what we've looked at over these past five weeks. First week together, we looked at the Word of God. We saw the Word of God is, is... essential for being spiritually healthy, that we are called to be a people who have set our hearts on the word of God. And we looked at Ezra, this this priest in the Old Testament who set his heart to study the word of God, to, to do it and to teach the word of God to others. And we saw that spiritual health starts with a similar heart posture, a heart posture committed to the word of God an increasing passion for the word of God. The next week we looked at what does it look like to live a life of worship. The reality is every single one of us is created as a worshiper. We are never not worshiping our entire lives, are our lives of worship. And so the question is not so much are we worshiping, but rather what or who are we worshiping. And we saw that God calls us to be a people who worship him, not just a couple hours a week, but with our entire lives from our free time to our vocation to when we gather with other people. In our third week, we saw that Christians are called to be people of relational warmth, of genuine love. And we looked at this passage from Romans chapter 12, looking at what does it mean for us to express love, sacrificial, heartfelt, full love for those who are in the church, but also those who are outside of the church as well. Two weeks ago, we looked at the Great Commission, this calling that Jesus has for all of us to be on mission, sharing the gospel, making disciples of all nations as well as across the street. We saw that part of being spiritually healthy, being mature, means that we are regularly sharing the gospel, inviting others to come and see what God is doing in our midst. And last week, we saw that in addition to God saving people because of our great need for salvation to be rescued, God also saves people because he wants to to have people who are zealous for good works, that God desires that we would be a people who regularly bear fruit, that we would be known for serving one another, that we would be known for serving others outside of the church. This is a key marker of spiritual health. And this morning... As I mentioned, we're looking at wisdom. And this is kind of the capstone of spiritual health because it's one thing to know and agree with everything that we've looked at to this point over the last five weeks, and yet it takes actual wisdom to actually live this out in your life. Your life is different than anyone else's life. And it takes wisdom to know how to live a spiritually healthy life as a 17-year-old or as a 37-year-old, or as a 57-year-old, or on and on. And so we begin this morning. I want us to just consider what does it mean for us to be wise? We're going to look at this pa- or our, our time this morning. We're just going to split it into two questions. First question is, what is wisdom? And our second question is, how do I gain wisdom, or how do I grow in wisdom? Let's pray as we approach this time in God's Word. Father, I am I'm so grateful for your love for your people and we ask that as we open your word this morning you would grant us wisdom through your spirit. God, your word declares that if anyone lacks wisdom, they should ask for it and we do just that this morning. We ask that you would help us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. All right, so let's first begin by, by asking this question, what is wisdom? Now an incredibly informative book, important book for my wife and I as we, um, for, for parenting is this book called Parenting, which is a really profound title. I'm just realizing that now. It's by, Paul, it's by Paul David Tripp. And one of the things that he argues in this book is that one of the chief tasks of parents is to help their children grow in wisdom. That every child is grown, or excuse me, is, is born foolish. That's just part of, of being a child. And one of the primary responsibilities of parents is to help children grow in wisdom. And so at a young age, when our kids were barely able to talk, We came up with this phrase, this definition of what does it mean to be wise, and we would recite it with our children over and over and over. And it went like this, wisdom is knowing the right thing to do at the right time. And we had little actions that we put with it, wisdom is knowing the right thing to do at the right time. And we would repeat that every, every night with our kids. And, and while it's perhaps a little juvenile, I, I think it, it, it stands the test of time. Wisdom is knowing the right thing to do at the right time. It's not enough for us to just to, to be able to, to know something. It's far more important for us to know how we are called to act in a specific certain situation. So this, this phrase that, that my family has used, wisdom is knowing the right thing to do at the right time. Just consider three specific aspects of this definition according to Scripture. First, wisdom is knowledge. To some extent, you have to know some things. You have to have some amount of knowledge in order to be wise. The book of Proverbs reveals to us the specific type of knowledge that is in view when we talk about being wise people. Proverbs chapter 1, right at the very beginning, it says this, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear... And increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So if you're going to be wise, it has to start with some sort of knowledge, specifically, according to Proverbs, knowledge about God. And yet, knowledge on its own is not enough. Wisdom is not just the accumulation of knowledge. If it were, surely there would be a lot more wise people out there. Wisdom is also the application of knowledge to a specific situation, it's the application of knowledge. Perhaps is this no greater or no better scene than in two verses in Proverbs 26. I, I love the juxtaposition here in Proverbs 26. It says this, answer not a fool according to his folly lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly lest he be wise in his own eyes. These two verses reveal the difference between knowledge and wisdom, I think more than any other verses in the Bible. Knowledge in a vacuum says, take this truth, take this text, apply it to your life, no questions asked, which is a problem. Because you look at verse 4 and it says, don't answer a fool because it's a waste of your time. And then you get to verse 5 and it says, answer a fool because they need corrected. How is this possible without the wisdom to know when answering a fool makes you a fool, makes you like them because you're wasting your time, and when answering a fool is the right thing to do? See, wisdom says that we have to take knowledge and we have to apply it to specific settings, specific situations in our life. So wisdom involves knowledge, and application, but also it involves action. It involves action. You aren't wise if you know what you should do, the right thing for a specific context, or specific situation, and yet you refuse to act on that. If you look at the book of Proverbs in the Bible, you have Chapters 1 through 9, roughly, as an introduction, they describe what specifically does wisdom mean, its value. And then after that, the rest of the book, chapters 10 through 31, devoted to practical application of wisdom in life's setting. All of chapters 10 through 21, what does it look like to be wise in this specific situation or this specific situation? Wisdom is knowing the right thing to do at the right time. It recognizes that the right thing in one situation is not necessarily the right way to respond in other situations. If you were to ask my boys, seven and four, about wisdom, in addition to saying, well, wisdom is is knowing the right thing to do at the right time, they would probably say, wisdom is knowing when to be silly and when not to be. It's because we've had that conversation a lot. There's nothing wrong with being silly. Sometimes it is absolutely okay to be silly and to goof off, and yet there are also other times where we should not, that we should not be goofing off, like in family prayer time. Now you know where that always comes up. It takes wisdom to know the difference. Wisdom is knowing the right thing to do at the right time. Wisdom is knowledge applied into action So what is wisdom? This is not something that is just created in a microwave overnight. If you realize I am not wise, then it's not something that tomorrow you can do one, two, and three, and then you will be wise overnight. That's abundantly clear from books of the Bible like Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, much of the book of Psalms, all of those talking about wisdom. Wisdom is, to borrow a phrase from Eugene Peterson, and I love this phrase, wisdom is a long obedience in the same direction. Wisdom is a long obedience in the same direction. Psalm 90 actually provides us with a really powerful picture uh, of what wisdom is. Psalm 90, written by Moses, likely written by Moses at the end of his life. The generation of Israel that had been rescued from slavery in Egypt has all died in the wilderness because of their disobedience. And Moses writes this psalm expressing the greatness of God And if you look specifically at Psalm 90, it's actually expressing the greatness of God in his anger as well as in his mercy. And then it spends time in this psalm, Moses addresses the shortness of our lifespan of humanity. And and, and like the culmination of this psalm, after talking about God's anger, about God's mercy, about the shortness of life, Moses writes this in verse 12. So teach us, To number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. In essence, what Moses is saying here is, is God, help us to remember who you are. Help us to remember who we are so that we can become wise. To put it another way, wisdom is looking at life from God's perspective. Wisdom is looking at life from God's perspective. If you want to to be wise, if you want to have the right view of God, you, you have to have the right view of God. You have to have the right view of yourself. And without that type of perspective, you cannot be wise. Wisdom is looking at life from God's perspective. Now, with all that in mind, let's, let's ask, okay, well, that's what wisdom is. Now, how, how can I become more wise? How can I become wiser? How can I grow in wisdom? Addressing this topic in one sermon is probably going to uh, do a disservice to it. You look at the book of Job, 40-some chapters about what does it mean to be wise, looking at life from God's perspective. You look at the book of Proverbs, you look at the book of Ecclesiastes, again, much of the the book of Psalms, all of these show us that growing in wisdom is a lifelong practice. It does not happen overnight, and yet there is some hope. There is hope because when we consider the message of Proverbs, one thing that is abundantly clear is that we can gain wisdom. In fact, that's so important that I I just want to make it like our first point before we get into Proverbs chapter 3 you can gain wisdom. You can become wise. It's important to recognize that this is possible. Proverbs 1 through 9 talks over and over and over that if you want to be wise, if you want to become wise, if you pursue wisdom, then guess what? You will become wise. That's that. Seeking wisdom is growing in wisdom. It's found throughout the book of Proverbs. So you look at Proverbs chapter 2. My son... If you hear my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ears attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. And this is good news because there are many things even if i try with all of my heart to attain i will never attain with my life i will never become a professional basketball no matter how hard i try professional basketball player no matter how hard i try i will never win a chili cook off no matter how hard i try There are things that are impossible, and yet wisdom, becoming wise, growing in wisdom, is not one of those things. If I start now, if I start today, then I can grow in wisdom. Proverbs 4 actually makes this even clearer. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. So, if you are wondering, how do I become wise? The first thing is, well, you're asking the right question. Wisdom comes from a, a pursuit of wisdom. If you make a concerted effort to, to be wise, you will become wise. And so, with that assurance in, assurance in mind, let's, let's consider just six ways that we can gain wisdom by looking at Proverbs chapter 3. Now, a caveat on this this is not comprehensive. This is is not going to show us every single way that we can become wise. This is not um, not looking at everything. We could go through the entire book of Proverbs and we still wouldn't see all of the ways that that we can cultivate wisdom in our lives. You also notice that that some of these points I broaden intentionally. I broaden them because I, I think that there's a bigger principle to apply to our lives here. Now, wisdom is more than what we're going to look at, but if you start doing these things, you'll be headed in the right direction. So let's go ahead and consider these words from Proverbs chapter 3. It says this, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be wary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Here we see the first way to gain wisdom in verse 1. It's this. We gain wisdom by listening to parents. We gain wisdom by listening to parents. Let's consider again verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Now, it would be wrong for parents to read this and go, yes. Right here, there's proof. Parents are are far from infallible. I knew far more about parenting before I became a parent. (laughs) Parents make mistakes. They screw up. They are selfish. They need to repent. And yet, at the same time, God knew what he was doing. When he gave young people, older people, to take care of them and to show them and to teach them how to live life. We can gain a whole lot of wisdom by listening to our parents. On the flip side, this should be a challenge to all the parents in the room. What are you parenting your children toward? If you were to say to your children, do not forget my teaching, let your heart keep my commandments, what would that teaching be that you're passing on to your children? What are the commandments that you are encouraging your children to keep? Not just with your words, but also with your actions. What are the ones that you are keeping in your life? We learn wisdom from parents. But the reality is, This doesn't just apply to natural parents, it also applies to spiritual parents as well. The book of 1 Corinthians spends the first four chapters or so talking about wisdom. It's not the the main focus of of Paul's words there, but he spends a lot of time talking about the wisdom of God, contrasting it with the wisdom of the world. Significantly in the midst of that uh, section of 1 Corinthians, Paul describes himself as a spiritual father to this church in Corinth says, I, I'm your spiritual father. I am, I've been investing in you. I've been pouring into you. And then he actually says, so follow me. Look to me as I'm following Jesus, and I'll show you how to live. And these aren't words that Paul uses. But in essence, he's saying, I'll show you how to be wise. Maybe you have very unwise parents. Maybe your parents are not Christians, and they have a very different type of wisdom. While there are still things that you can learn from them, wisdom doesn't just come from them. Wisdom comes from the others in the church, those who have gone before. This is one of the beautiful things about the church, that the church is multi-generational. Just take a moment and look around. Look around at the others that are in here. There are people from every age of life and stage of life in this church room. Young people, students, young parents, young singles, you have a near limitless well of knowledge and wisdom at your disposal in this room. Are you making use of it by listening to parents and to spiritual parents, those who have gone before you? Let's continue. Verse 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Here we see that we gain wisdom by meditating on the things of God. Let me say that again. We gain wisdom by meditating on the things of God. I'm getting this from two key words here in verse 3, steadfast love, which is actually one word in Hebrew, and faithfulness. These two words, if you remember from our time in 1 Samuel, refer to, they're, they're very important words because they are covenantal words, they refer to God's relationship to humanity, how God interacts with, how God deals with humanity. God's way of dealing with humanity is always steadfast love. And it's always faithfulness. If you look at the Old Testament, you'll see that this steadfast love and faithfulness is shown when God decides to choose Abraham to follow him. This steadfast love and faithfulness of God is on display when God rescues the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. For us today, living on this side of the cross, the steadfast love and faithfulness of God most accurately and clearly displayed on the cross. At the cross, God has made an unbreakable promise to his people to rescue them. So when you see these words, steadfast love and faithfulness, it should remind you of what God has done, of how God acts towards his people. And so when Proverbs tells us to take these two things and not to forsake them, notice the second half of verse 3. It gives us specifics. It says that we are to bind them around our neck. That we are to write them on the tablets of our hearts. In other words, the things of God, who God is, what God has done for us, what God has committed himself to still do for his people. These things should be a part of every waking moment of your life. They should be the DNA that is found in every single cell of your body. In his book, Wisdom, The Wisdom Pyramid, wonderful book, highly recommend it. And just a side note. The Wisdom Pyramid, uh, I think, is, is such a, an important book for us in this cultural moment today that um, you'll, you'll actually find in your Bible notes, or in, in the Bible app, in your sermon notes, you'll find a link to a brief description of what it is. In your life groups, you're going to take some time and work through what exactly is the Wisdom Pyramid, and are we living out the Wisdom Pyramid in our lives. Now, in this book, The Wisdom Pyramid, Brett McCracken the author, he, he rightly points out that we have a very dangerous approach to consumption, a very dangerous approach to how we live our lives. His book is actually based on the premise of the, the food pyramid. You remember the food pyramid? It was, it was based off of, you know, you're supposed to eat lots of grains, and, and you know, then it would just slowly get up higher until you're, you're supposed to, and it would always say, use sparingly when it talks about the really tasty stuff, Right? <laughs> And so he uses the same same concept. The, the concept, of instead of a food pyramid, he uses this concept of a wisdom pyramid. That if we are going to grow in wisdom, then we have to look at what we are consuming. We have to look at what we are eating with the limited time that we have with our lives. What is consuming our time? What is consuming our thoughts? And, and he says that the thing that should shape our lives the most is the Bible, which makes a great deal of sense. It, it, it's what reveals to us the true knowledge of who God is, what life is like, re- real knowledge of who we are like, is, is revealed in the scriptures. And then he goes on to recommend other things. Right above Bible is, is, is church. So after we spent the most time uh, in the Bible, then, then we spend time in the community of other believers. And then on top of that is nature. God has revealed himself in some ways, according to Psalm 19, in nature. So spend time in nature. Then books after that. After that, it's art, and that also includes music and, and movies. And then at the very, very top, in the use sparingly category is the internet and social media. And if you look at our lives and the lives of everyone around us, we've so often taken that pyramid and we flipped it upside down. And he argues persuasively that the, the type of diet that produces the wisest and healthiest Christians is the one that spends most of its time being shaped and formed and consuming scripture and and sparingly uses things like the internet and social media. The Proverbs serve as a warning by telling us that the steadfast love and faithfulness of God should be written on the very tablets of our hearts. If you want to be wise, spend time studying, marveling at the things of God as revealed in the scriptures. What is engraved on the tablet of your heart right now? What are you engraving day by day with what you consume on the tablet of your heart? Is it the things of God? Or is it the latest and greatest on the internet? Next, verse five. Trust in the Lord with all your hearts and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. These are very commonly recited verses. What does this verse and a half teach us? We gain wisdom by remembering that we are not God. We gain wisdom by remembering, by reminding ourselves that we are not God. And that might sound obvious, might even sound a little bit silly, but the sobering reality is that each and every one of us is prone to forget that. We are prone to, to forget that we are not the center of the universe. We have this tendency to trend toward thinking that I am the one who is in charge, that if anything ha- c- is going to get done, then it is up to me, that the world rests on my shoulders. But wisdom looks at life completely differently. Last night, one of our kids didn't want to go to bed. Asked the question, why sleep is dumb? Exact words. Why do we have to go to sleep? And and my wife wisely tries to meet him where he's at, and I I, I unwisely just go right for the theological description of why what is sleep? Why why is you know? Uh, but but uh, at the same time, I hopefully it, it kind of sunk in that God created us to need sleep to remind us that we're not God. God doesn't sleep, you do. You came in here if you were tired. Guess who wasn't tired? Besides your children. <laughs> God. God continues to never need sleep. God is infinite. You are finite. God has, has built things into his created order to remind us that we are not God. Remember the key to the heart of wisdom in Psalm 90? This, this description from Moses to, is to look at life from God's perspective. It's not to trust yourself, but it's to trust the Lord for guidance, to trust the Lord for direction. That any chance of you coming through on the other side is not coming from yourself, it's coming from God alone. And you know what? When you begin to remember that, when you begin to, to intentionally remind yourself that you are not God, It's liberating. Wisdom grows when we remind ourselves that things are in God's hands. They're not in mine. Verse 7, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Here we see that wisdom grows by pursuing humility. Wisdom grows by pursuing pursuing humility. A wise person is not enamored with their own wisdom. If you are enamored with your own wisdom, then you're probably not all that wise. Wisdom, wise people are instead consumed with a passion to honor God with their thoughts and their actions. Many of you have likely heard the, the description of Humility, I think Rick Warren first said it, he he was just adapting a phrase from C.S. Lewis and then Tim Keller made it really popular. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Wisdom grows when we're not concerned with our own image, when we're not concerned with other people and what they think about about us, but instead we're consumed with the things of God. Wisdom grows when we pursue humility. Verse 9, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your produce. Here, Proverbs tells us that we gain wisdom by honoring God with our lives. And that includes, but is not limited to, your finances. When you make a concerted effort with your life to honor God, it leads to wisdom because you will need wisdom... To know how to honor God with your life. You will pursue wisdom because you need to discern the right ways to honor God in a specific situation. You're going to seek wise counsel for help in knowing the right ways to bring God glory in your life. When we pursue honoring God with our lives, that produces, it cultivates wisdom in us. And then finally in verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. We gain wisdom by not wasting hardship. We gain wisdom when we don't waste the suffering and the pain that we experience in our lives. Here's the reality when it comes to wisdom. You and I are not as wise as we could be or as we should be. And when you are not as wise as you could be or as you should be then that means that sometimes you are going to make bad and foolish decisions and sometimes we're faced with the consequences and sometimes those consequences are even severe from those decisions and you know what makes a decision really foolish not learning not learning from those moments. This is, this is true not just in the times where we make foolish decisions, it's also just true more generally of hardship. When we find ourselves in hardship, it's an opportunity to learn, to learn something about God, to learn something about his character, but also to learn something about ourselves. Maybe we'll learn something about ourselves that makes us uncomfortable. An area of our lives that we have to address, that we have to change. Maybe we'll just learn something more about God and his goodness, his patience, his incredible provision and care for his people. Whatever it may be, the important thing is to realize that God, he teaches us in the midst of those challenging times. We grow in wisdom when we don't waste hard times, when we don't waste hardship, when we don't waste suffering. We grow in wisdom when we see these painful moments, either caused by someone else or, or, or even by ourselves, and we see those as opportunities to grow. Rather than just ignoring them or, or, or kicking the can down the road to, to, again, make the same decision later on, we may not be able to grasp what God is doing in the moment, what God is even teaching us in the moment, but we can sh- be assured that God is, is at work. So when you find yourself facing hardship, suffering, pain, difficulty, wisdom looks for opportunities to learn in the midst of that. How do we grow in wisdom? Wisdom. I think the the book of James provides us with this helpful conclusion. As we consider how we are called to grow in wisdom, James 1 says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all, without reproach, and it will be given to him. What a beautiful picture of the generosity of God. There's no ands, ifs, or buts when it comes to this statement. There's not a declaration of this is how you should ask for wisdom. It's just saying, just ask for it. Just ask God for wisdom. The reality is the pursuit of wisdom starts by pursuing God. In prayer. And so as we close, I just want to consider four final words on wisdom, a warning, an assurance, a challenge, and a comfort. First, a warning. One of the most powerful rhetorical devices in the book of Proverbs is we see this personification of wisdom. What that means is that wisdom is portrayed as this woman who is crying out in the streets for people to pay attention to her, to listen to her, because she has the keys to life. She will show you how to live, and pursuing her is better than everything else in the world. Wisdom is crying out for you, begging you to pay attention, to seek her. But here's the warning. Wisdom is not the only one crying out begging you to pay attention. We also see in the book of Proverbs that folly cries out. And folly probably cries out louder than ever today. Proverbs 9. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. Here's the warning you will never grow in wisdom by accident. The voice of folly is is too seductive, it is too persuasive, it is too enticing for us to ignore if we are not making a concerted effort to turn our ears toward wisdom and not toward folly. Especially in today's world, The, the woman folly is indeed loud. So the warning is don't listen to her. Be intentional in pursuing wisdom. Second, an assurance. If you feel like you are not wise, or perhaps not as wise as you should be, whether it is considering your age or it's considering your education, whatever the reason why, rest assured it is never too late to start pursuing wisdom. Proverbs makes it clear that the invitation to become wise is available to everyone, even the simple, even those who lack sense. There are no prerequisites for seeking wisdom. Proverbs 9, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she, wisdom, says, come, eat of my bread and drink of my wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of my insights. If you want to grow in wisdom, but you feel like too much time has passed you by, the chance is still yours. Wisdom is still calling. Third, a challenge. Just as wisdom is always calling out, inviting the simple to become wise, that there's never a, a time where it's too late for you to begin to pursue wisdom. There also, the opposite is also true. There's never a time where we become completely wise. There's always room to grow in wisdom. Proverbs 9, again, give instruction to a wise man and he will still become wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. We should always be increasing in wisdom, becoming more and more like the only wise God. There's never a time where we can be satisfied or content with our wisdom. We should be pursuing wisdom each and every day. And finally, a comfort. I've alluded to this a couple times this morning, but I think it's worth making explicit here at the end. Wisdom is ultimately found in Jesus Consider Paul's words to the church in 1 Corinthians. Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. I mentioned earlier the beginning of 1 Corinthians, Paul is is contrasting the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God and just saying, you know what, the wisdom of God in the the world's eyes, it makes no sense. And that's really true. In, In the world's eyes, why on earth would Jesus come to die? And yet in Christ Jesus, we see the... fullness of the wisdom, unfathomable wisdom of God on display, a marvel that makes the apostle Paul cry out in the book of Romans. He says this, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways, for who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid for from him and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Wisdom is ultimately found in the person of Jesus. If you want to be wise, then pursue Jesus. Mold your life around this Jesus. Follow this Jesus, because in Jesus we see the wisdom of God on full display. What if we were to take this seriously? this call to wisdom, seriously. Take a moment and just think. Who comes to mind when you think of a wise person? Who is wise in your eyes? How did they get there? It was by pursuing wisdom faithfully, habitually, consistently. They didn't become wise overnight. What if you resolved to do the same thing today? What if 10 years from now, 20 years from now, whenever, we were a church filled with wise people pursuing wisdom every day? Not perfect but growing in wisdom. For that matter, what if that was the case with every single one of these areas of spiritual health? What if we were a people that were known for our worship, not just on Sundays, but every waking moment of our lives? What if we were known for our genuine love, our love for those that are right next to us and those that are outside the church? What if we were known for our devotion to the word of God, that we were a people of the book, What if we were known for our passion for the mission of God, sharing the gospel with other people? What if we were known for being zealous for good works? As we stand at the end of this sermon series on spiritual health, what did these questions reveal about your health, about your maturity in the faith? Are you spiritually healthy? What might God be calling you toward this year, and over the coming years? Remember, this is a long obedience in the same direction of following Jesus. What might God be calling you toward as you seek to grow in giving Him glory and in drawing near to Him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wisdom of God, so much greater than, than the wisdom of sinful man, the wisdom of the world that you sent Jesus, that we could be reunited with you forever. Holy Spirit, I ask that you right now would speak to each of us individually, impressing upon our hearts what we can do to become more and more like you, to become wiser and wiser, not in our own eyes, but to live a life that brings you honor and glory. Help us to be a people who do just that. It's in Jesus' name we pray.